Welcome to Dance with Dudes, episode 10. It's July 10th, baby. Man, the 10th episode on the 10th. Gotta love that. For our first topic this week, we're talking about threads. Like Versace? No, man, the app. Oh, I got you. For our second topic, we're discussing artificial intelligence meeting CRISPR technologies. Like Tinder? No, man, we're not talking about apps here. For our third topic, what's up with athlete salaries these days? Must be the money. But make sure to hang around for the end of our show as Anthony and I dive into motivation and behavior change with Dr. Alex Solons from Tarleton State University. But before we do that, Anthony, hit him with that great intro song. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show, where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you. So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. And for our first topic this week, Anthony, last week, Mark Zuckerberg dropped a brand new app that's supposed to rival Twitter. Mm. The name of the app is called Threads. It dropped last Thursday, and it's a new app that was put out by Meta, but it's, if you go and like download the app in the App Store, it's actually considered an Instagram app if you go and look at it. But It's new to who? It's new to Instagram. It's not new to the world because it's Twitter, bro. This is a, He just stole Twitter. Exactly, man. Hey, I was looking at this. On the 5th, Mark Zuckerberg hadn't tweeted in 11 years, and he decided to tweet a meme of the... Uh, you've probably seen it before where it's a meme of the Spider-Mans where they're, like, pointing at each other because, you know, it's, it's like the multiverse type thing. You want to check it out go ahead look it up i know a lot of you guys have probably already seen this but yeah the meme didn't have any comments or anything like that but it was just basically pointing out hey I, it. so on the day of the launch he he comes out in after 14 years and drops this 11 years 11 years so yes hadn't been there he hadn't even you know i guess it's like anything else i guess you know if you own coca-cola you're probably not gonna go drink pepsi right you know whatever it is unless you want to steal that pepsi sauce like I, I don't know what it would be but if you're like all right i'm gonna do uh you know the vanilla well mark zuckerberger is known to do this right zuckerberg but yeah hamburglar zuckerberg he's he's the he's the he's the hamburglar of stealing different platforms and technologies and if not at least buying those technologies i mean let's go all the way back to facebook and i think the majority of us know the story behind Facebook and that he basically undercut these two guys that developed or had the idea for it. And I think Mark was more of the, I guess, brains behind it. And so, he, but he stole the idea. Yeah. Right. So that's the, you know, that was. That's number one. I would honestly say when he got Instagram, he took some of the aspects from Snapchat. Snapchat was doing the stories um, where, you know, you post them. You could watch them for 24 hours and then they disappear. Well, then Instagram and so did Facebook started doing that. So 
guy's just not as creative as you think. And whenever Discord came out, he's now ha- has like so Facebook has like a a gaming side to to Facebook yeah. to try to rival Discord. And now you've got Threads, which you know Threads is a essentially just like Twitter, right? I mean, it's the text based platform where you can go to just discuss any type of topic that you want to hashtag this or tag different companies or, or the creators themselves on those topics and interact with them, right? Right. And so it's the same thing as Twitter. It's exactly the same thing as Twitter. And what I'm reading right now, man, is it saying Meta just needs one-fourth of its Instagram users to join threads to rival Twitter's user base. Well, for their first day, interestingly enough, their their first day, they had over 30 million users sign up. Mm. So I'd say they're off to a good start. All you need is like one big celebrity, whether it be, what is it, Selena Gomez? If she could get on there, then you know, they got to be working a deal behind the scenes right now, being like, I will endorse this, but I'm going to need some bread. You know, it's happening. Yeah, man. Absolutely. There was a term that I uh, I kind of like, shout out to the T-Boy podcast. They uh, they actually have quoted a, a verb for Mark Zuckerberger and the way that he does business. They actually call it zucking, which is, in their terminology, is the, the act of stealing somebody else's intellectual property in trying to do it himself. Mm. And so thought that was kind of funny. Mark Zuckerberger is what I'm going to call him or the, the mother Zucker yes. is at it again. So dudes, what do you guys think about this story? What do you think about threads? Have you guys hopped on the platform yet? Is it better than Twitter? What are your thoughts on it? You can hit us on any social media platform at donuts with dudes. You can find us on our link tree. That'll send you to all of our platforms at Donuts with Dudes as well, or emails info at Donuts with Dudes. And for our second topic today, man, we got some pretty interesting things going on with gene technology, gene manipulation. A little scary, kind of interesting, but Dudes, you might have heard about this new technology called CRISPR. CRISPR is a new technology that's able to basically take DNA and splice it and take specific unwanted parts of your DNA that you don't want and get a desired outcome. Now, researchers at New York University, Columbia Engineering, and the New York Genome Center have put together a deep learning model, basically incorporating AI with this CRISPR technology. Previously, with CRISPR technology, you were only able to cut out certain parts of of DNA, and that was it. Sometimes, I guess you have these unwanted, nasty side effects that come across from the use of CRISPR-based technologies. But now, what they're able to do is basically... Instead of just having an on and off switch, you've got a dimmable light, right? So you're able to say, okay, we're going to put this at 30%. Instead of cutting out the whole entire gene, this new technology actually targets what's called the RNA, which is just a, uh, a building block of the DNA. These researchers have developed what's called TIGER. TIGER stands for Targeted inhibition of gene expression via guide RNA design. 
that says it all to you, right? I mean, I mean, explains everything, right? Right. It's, it's the CRISPR slash backslash, or you know, CRISPR Cas9, which edits the edits genes precisely by cutting DNA and letting natural DNA repair process take over. Interesting. So you're basically able to fine tune your genes. Yes. It's just so interesting that you know. I mean, I feel like AI is just continuing to be a story of how it's coming into our daily life, right? I mean, and now look at it. You were talking about this earlier, right? With, hey, I want my son to be a couple inches taller. Right. That's all you got to do. But, you know, I'm not even sure. Can it be happen? I think it has to be embryo, right? Like it has to take place in the embryo because now that I'm looking up, it's like, why is it so controversial? And it's because the powerful gene editing tool called CRISPR, which this month nabbed the Nobel Prize in chemistry for two females or two female scientists can cause serious side effects in the, in the cells of human embryos, prompting them to discharge large chunks of their genetic material. Hmm. So it's not like I could probably go back and give my son this procedure now, right? I mean, to my knowledge, I think you can do it now. I think it's like an actual therapy that's done on you because you can remove certain genes that we, like for instance, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene that, is associated with breast cancer in women. And actually, you I mean, men can have this too as well. That if you remove that from a person's specific genome, then almost reduces the, the chance of getting cancer altogether. Very true, very true. So I guess really what we're looking at here is, what do you think, man? I mean, you think this is something that, that should be allowed or do you think it's potentially really harmful? You got uncharted territory here because, I mean, you're going into a space, the unknown. Nobody really knows a, b- a bunch of the side effects that can, could come across from this. But this is such a dividing topic when it comes to AI, AI because the hurt that can come from it be very detrimental. And we've talked about that before on our show. However, on, on the other hand, if this does go very right, this could be very, very helpful in health outcomes for, for a lot of people. But this isn't a novel technology, apparently, right? This comes back to kind of our stories in the last few episodes that we had when we were talking about the Anunnaki. In 2014, an author, Chris H. Hardy, wrote a book called DNA of the Gods, the Anunnaki, Creation, Eve, and the Alien Battle for Humanity. And in this book, it explains the genetic engineering of humanity by an Anunnaki scientist, Nimma. Let's just say they've been doing this from as long as we know. And this isn't something that you would normally find in your history books in school. Uh, You know, I suggest you guys, if you guys are interested in this kind of thing, just to go um, do your own research. Check out the book. So apparently this isn't a novel idea then, right? I mean, this is something from a different epic of the timeline of our Earth that a different civilization, a different type of people had already created this type of technology and they still live with it. Right. Apparently. Right. So go check out the book, DNA of the Gods, the Anunnaki Creation of Eve and the Alien Battle for Humanity by Chris H. Hardy. Dudes, what have you guys, have you guys uh, heard about this new technology, quote unquote new, or the Anunnaki's and in, in their discovery of this technology in an ancient civilization? What do you guys think about this? Hit us on our socials, at Donuts With Dudes. You can find everything on our link tree there to all of our social media outlets. Or email us, info at DonutsWithDudes.com.
And dudes, for our final story this week, man, I just got to say, it seems like athlete salaries these days are just astronomical, especially when you compare them to what it seemed like when I was a kid. And that's only going back to the 80s and 90s. Yeah, man, that's just crazy just to think about it. What, what, what would contribute to that, you think? It's inflation. Yeah, so, I mean, let's take a look at some of the highest paid athletes throughout time, right? I mean, if you go back the past few decades, back to the 1970s, Muhammad Ali was the highest paid athlete in the 1970s, at which point he was making between 4 to $7 million a year at his, pit, at his peak. And he was fighting people like Joe Frazier and having the rumble in the jungle. Um, and then in the 1980s, you go to Sugar Ray Leonard. And Sugar Ray at that point in time was pulling in quite a bit of amount. And when you adjust for inflation, he was making about $26.5 million a year. And then you get to the GOAT, right? Michael Jordan in the 1990s. He was only pulling in in the early 80s, or excuse me, in the early 90s, only $4 million a year. Even though he's the highest paid athlete of all time, before he got a new contract, dude was only pulling in $4 million a year until the 1997-1998 seasons. And that's crazy. I just, I remember looking up something earlier and it was uh, Joe Montana making early 90s, maybe 1990, $4.5 million a season. Yeah. And yeah. then you then you compare that to Patrick Mahomes today, who got a 10-year contract valued at $450 million, so $45 million a year. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's insane. And, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this just because, uh, you know, uh, me and my son, we collect cards, sports cards. So we're really into like, man, even the value of these cards are crazy nowadays too. But they had said the backyard breaks them. They posted a meme and uh, it said, Fred Van Vliet in three years at Houston is set to make more money than MJ did in his entire career. Who, who is Fred Van Vliet? Man, that's a good question, dude. Never heard of him in my life. But he's set to make uh, $143 million in three years where Michael Jordan made $90 million in 15 years of his career. Wow. So that puts it in perspective for you. Now, I don't know what those adjusted for inflation numbers are. You just take the GOAT Joe Montana back in the 90s, take his salary, look at one of the GOATs right now, Patrick Mahomes, look at their salaries. And that's almost 10x in 30 years. And I think some of it's got to just do with concussion protocols and just, uh, you know, now they know sports are really more dangerous than they were back then. So just the scientific research of just seeing deterioration of these players' minds and bodies, it really does take a toll on them. So it's, there's got to be a higher dollar amount placed on them risking their lives in a game that's for your entertainment. You follow the money, right? If the market will justify that a ticket costing whatever it is and seats are sold out and that is just their cut of the revenue, then that's just where money is flowing, right? And you know, it's also just like the evolution of sports, man. Now you got NIL, right? So you got a uh, name, image, and likeness that these college athletes are able to make money off of now because they are representing the school, but they're also, you know, putting their lives in danger and future health for their career that you know, they might, they're not promised the next year, the next season. So I think they're really all, you know, it's, it's all about the money. I guess the only thing that kind of gets me though, is if you take that same scale to which salaries have grown, has performance 
changed that exact amount. And I don't know that you could say that it's that much more exciting. As a matter of fact, you make the opposite argument that you see a lot more flopping in sports, especially in basketball and soccer. Football, there's a lot more. And for a good reason, there's a lot more. Let's just take targeting, protecting the passer. You go back 50 years where a lot of these protection rules were not in place and people were hanging their neck out on the line a lot more than they are today. However, you're making a lot more money. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. When you think of three-pointers back in the 80s, 90s, who's the guy that you're thinking of just draining threes all the time? I mean, I think Reggie Miller. I think John Stockton. Maybe a little bit earlier. We even had a video game with this dude on it. Nintendo, you know, it was just the terrible graphics. You don't remember uh, Jordan vs. Bird? Oh, yeah. Well, Larry Bird, yeah. So think about Larry Bird, and who's the guy that just drains threes now? Steph Curry. Right. So just comparing these two guys, Bird has the edge in rebounding, averaging an impressive 10 rebounds per game over his career, while Curry averages 4.5 rebounds per game. However, Curry has the edge in scoring and assists with per-game averages of 23.5 points and 6.6 assists, respectively, compared to Bird's 24.3 points and 6.3 assists. Dudes, what do you guys think about salaries these days and the astronomical number and how they're compared to salaries of let's say the 90s, 80s, and 70s. Hit us on our social media, at Donuts with Dudes. You can find all of our links to all of our pages in our link tree, at Donuts with Dudes, or you can email us, info at Donuts with Dudes. We'll return to the show in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, in the bakery today, we've got an esteemed guest with us. We have Dr. Alex Solens. He's from Tarleton State University and is a professor in sports management and kinesiology. So dudes, help us welcome Dr. Alex Solens. All right, thank you for having me. Welcome to the bakery. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, really appreciate you joining us and to study and to be able to go into detail as far as your research background. If you wouldn't mind, would you share with us just a little bit more about your research initiatives and just some of your interests today? Sure. That's, uh, that'd be great. So the way I look at it is for most faculty members, you usually have some kind of, how would say, almost like a wedge, right? You have borders and you kind of fill around there. You do different things within a, a general uh, idea or genre. And so mine is sports and recreation. Previously, I looked a lot at physical activity related to college students and how and why people choose to engage in sports and recreation or choose maybe not to engage in sports or recreation. We all know in relating to global health that getting enough physical activity is beneficial, but the the norm is that most people don't get their recommended requirements for physical activity per day, per week. And so trying to take a, an approach of maybe understanding that a little better of why people do or do not. And so that was kind of my, my area of, of interest while I was working on my PhD. And so my 
dissertation became related to understanding this idea about motivational climates and how it relates to intrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation you've probably heard of before. Those two relate to doing something for what reason, basically. So intrinsic motivation is you want to do something because of the feelings it gives you, happiness, enjoyment, uh, fulfillment, things like that. External motivation could be someone's making you do it, uh, punishment, maybe for money you're doing something. So why do we do what we do? And those are two basic uh, concepts that are drivers for for people getting stuff done. And so that's what I was looking on. So what is a motivational climate? A motivational climate is a psychological state, basically. And uh, it relates to teachers and coaches and uh, bosses and such create an environment in which they hope to motivate people to a certain outcome. Like you can't, we, we talk about, yeah, let's go motivate, you know, our workers or whatever. You can't motivate people. People motivate themselves. All you can do as an outside presence is control the environment in which they're in. And hopefully that influences their motivation. And so coaching and teaching have been on this topic for a long time. Um, leaders and leadership research has taken a look at this, especially over like the last 50, 60 years. But teachers and coaches know this for for sure, how to get the most out of the people. And that's what they're looking to do. So that was my, my basic concept. And so we'll get into that here in a bit. Uh, but it was basically around a theory that's called achievement goal theory. And uh, it has like two parts. One is called a mastery climate and one is called a performance climate. And that uh, those two things kind of shape the way that the, the environment is when, uh, when you're coaching or teaching. Interesting. I like that, you know, because I've always, I've always said this, the saying that what you do in life is 90% of what you make of it, right? And 10% of what happens to you, right? And whether that be good, bad. And the rest of it is, is kind of this internal locus of control kind of thing. You've got your own, yes, I mean, you, within the parameters of, of, of your own resources, right? But you make of it what, what it is, right? I mean, I, do, oh, yeah. do you, do you, am I on the right track here maybe? I, for, for understanding things, I believe so. Uh, I definitely think. So we'll get into another one, which is called self-determination theory. And that plays a part in my research as well. Uh, and when you talk about locus of control, you know, the self, uh, self-determination theory is broken down into three parts and there's like basic psychological needs that we're trying to get. One of them is autonomy, being able to have like make choices of your own volition. Um, one is competency, how good you are at something. Can, are you getting better? And the other is relatedness. So can you relate the activity to something else? Can you relate to the person that you're with? Can you relate to your coaches? Things along those lines. So Meeting those three basic psychological needs was also part of uh, of this research, and it uh, it's really neat stuff. So it's it's nothing like rocket science, it, you know. It's there's a there's a great statement about social sciences that you know it's not rocket science. It's much harder. Yeah, and uh, because you can't explain it, like those kind of things, they have laws and theories and stuff like that, and their laws are true. There's no laws in social science research, so none of this is like. A equals B kind of stuff. This is, we think this might explain something. And that's his best, uh, that's the best level you can get to. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about this. Um, I coach my son's 12U, 7-on-7 team, and 11U, really competitive baseball team. And what we struggle with is a lot of times they get in their own head, and then sometimes uh, they can't get out of it. 
tough if they're going through, you know, they, they have some, you know, they're going through a little tough time on the mound or whatever it may be. Umpire's not calling the strikes that they want and they start getting down on themselves. And then it's very hard to kind of pull them back out of that and say, hey, shrug it off. Oh, you yeah. got more ball to play. Um, but we also, one of our approaches is, or one of my approaches is, uh, I know you're giving it 100%. So I don't want you to feel worse about yourself because of your performance. I'd rather you see what you're doing wrong and correct it. And that way you can keep moving on. Like I'm not going to dog on you for making, you know, missing a play. So there's, there's some, man, there's a lot of stuff right there. Yeah. That's uh sports psychology. Um, one, it's a very big field and, uh, the pros use it all the time. And there's little takeaways that you can take, uh, that can help. But I mean, understanding an athlete's mind and being able to help influence the way that they perform based on a psychological state so difficult because there's so many factors that can come into place that you can't account for so you can only have like general guidelines to go with and then go from there and like hey i hope this helps so like there's not a ton that can be done but can there are a few so that's uh sports psychology is awesome uh, i teach a class on sports psychology it's one of my more favorite ones because, I mean, this is the stuff that, you know, I'm 44 years old. I'm just, I've been figuring it out for like 10, 15 years. If I'd have known that when I was an athlete, right? oh my gosh, the, it's, it's, it seems so easy now that we're adults and everything and we've been through it so much. You're like talking to a kid and like, why can't you figure this out? <laughs> and it, it makes so much sense and you see the game differently and things like that. But man, when you're in the heat of it as a teenager or a kid, like, it's, it's so, there's so many things. Your brain is just on fire, basically, trying to encom- to understand what's going on, and you, you can't get it. And I think a part of it is the those athletes who can grasp it and can understand these things, they're the ones who tend to do better. It's not always just physical skills. Like, it makes a big difference in your quality of play, whatever psychological state you're in. We often struggle with, uh, you know, making these lasting changes in our behavior. What are some strategies that can help us overcome the challenges and maintain motivation and long-term behavior changes? Motivation is, uh, is peaks and valleys. You don't always have high motivation. You don't always have low motivation. But it's a peaks and valleys kind of system. But the thing about a behavior change, part of it has to do with the, the totality of the effect, meaning that not just how badly you want it, but how determined you are to get somewhere. Determination and having self-discipline are probably your biggest key indicators to success. Not everybody has it. Not everybody has high levels of self-discipline. I mean, I don't. When it when it comes to like weight loss and, and stuff, I'm not very good at it. Yeah, here. yeah. Like, I understand the benefits of uh, physical activity. I know that I'm going to feel better, and my mental state's going to be better, and my body's not going to hurt as much. Yet, I would choose to sit on the couch and watch TV. So, like, there. It's not something that's ingrained in us. And I think some people have a higher level of it. You know, people who are like gym rats, you know, they want to go to the gym a lot, who play sports a lot, who do all these things that are very active. They're getting something out of it that may not be the same for everyone. And so their motivation to continue that is probably easier than someone who is trying to start something who has had bad experiences. Actually, I'll flip back. So why is there... At age 12, why is there a huge drop-off of kids playing sports? Good question. I don't know. We've been trying to answer this for a long time, but... I'd probably say pressure. 
That's one part. Puberty? Potentially. Family? Yeah, that's a confounding factor. But a lot of kids didn't necessarily have that much fun playing sports growing up. Parents put it in, they put a lot of pressure on them, they had to do these things. I mean, travel ball teams at six years old? Why in the world do we need? I mean, that's, I, you want to bring me back. That's the one that we can talk about is travel ball. No offense. But uh, I've I've been on both sides. Well, not, I haven't been a participant of that, but I've been on the sides of uh, Parks and Recreation putting those on and as a researcher. So I've seen a couple different sides of it. And uh, that's a different, but the point I'm making is like their people's past experiences influence their future experiences. If you don't have a good experience doing something, you're not going to continue doing it. But if you have found something enjoyable and you do see the benefits of it, you have a more likelihood of doing it again. And so that's where um, we talk about behavior change. If we can take the environment and put it in and create it as such that you feel you feel good about it, you feel like you've done something, you're maybe, and this is where I get back to those basic psychological needs. If I feel like I have autonomy and I can kind of have an impact and choice of what I'm doing, if I can uh, feel like I'm creating some kind of competency, I'm building a skill and I have some kind of connection to others or uh, maybe an event or something along those lines, my intrinsic motivation is higher. Mm -hmm. So if I'm playing on a team sport, my skills are getting better and I like playing the sport. I like playing with my teammates. I have a likelihood to want to do that again. And the problem is not all coaching education exists where they help create environments like that. And that can really influence the future success and future commitment that that person has uh, going forward. You know, we'll see a drop off around age 12 and then the last two to three years of high, so you, it's 12 to about 16, 17. And then you see like a peak at age like 17 and 18, especially for boys wanting to play sports again. And so you'll see like church league basketball for juniors and seniors. And you're like, where did this come out of? Y'all could have been playing this last four or five years at the community level, but they didn't want to. I mean, what was the reason for that drop off? And then we get into college and intramural sports are huge. Yeah. Like what happened? Why did, why did you stop for those three to four years? And again, some of the co-founding factors are puberty and understanding your body and understanding who you are, trying to create an identity. All those things do take a place, but there was nothing wrong with playing sports at age 16. And unless you were an athlete who continued within your, your games that you played, the average person dropped off about age 12 or age 13. As far as kids having fun, right? I always told myself as a coach, I never wanted to be the reason why a kid quit a sport because I've had bad coaches in my lifetime too that made me dislike the sport. So I think that goes back to your uh, comment about having fun, right? Absolutely. Um, however, I know you said something about travel ball and, and just to go on. It gets a bad rap. Yeah, it does. But like you said too, if you do have that experience of getting better, you like your teammates, you like your families that are around, you know, that whole experience that does kind of keep going with you. And for instance, you know, we kind of gave up Little League just because uh, we weren't getting any better. And at this point, I realized I can't help my son develop because we're actually playing down to the, you know, the, the weakest link on the team. And sometimes when we have to focus on that guy to bring him up, the guy that's up here comes back down. Yep. So for us, it was a better decision for me and my son. And my son made it easier because he just said, Dad, I'd like to just, you know, keep doing travel ball instead of going to Little League. And, and that's the key right there. The, it, it needs to be 
child instigated. So if the kids want to do it, absolutely go for it. Go as high as you can go. It's the it's the ones that do it for the wrong reason. So that's that's my my gripe against it is uh, I think there's a lot of people that do travel organized sports for the wrong reason, and it's not enough of those who do it for the right reason. No, I, I the initiation almost has to be out of the kid because the requirement is so huge that they need to be a part of it and they need to go like I want to do this. That like my parents are helping me, but it's my decision. I want to be the one doing it, and I'm all for it. Like if you have that. That separates you from other kind of athletes and go for it as far as you can. I, I like that because it kind of brings up another topic here is you already brought up the intrinsic versus extrinsic uh, factors of, of motivation, right? You're, you're talking here about the, the intrinsic values and the intrinsic, excuse me, the intrinsic factors that go into, you know, a kid's mind and keeping them involved in sports. What would you say, I guess, as far as that mix goes, as far as the power it has on the effect on someone's life, internal versus external, which one of those is, is really weighted the most and, and I guess why? So it's definitely intrinsic. So, I mean, just think of all your past experiences, why you do what you do, right? If people have jobs that they love, supposedly, everybody says that, you know, I want the job that I love, but very few people have the job that they actually love. Like things you'd be willing to do without getting paid. Because money is an external motivator, right? You do what you do for the money so you can do other things. All things being equal, like you didn't have house payments and car payments and kids' college funds and stuff like that, would you still be doing that job? I mean, I wanted to be a professional soccer player, but I'm not there. <laughs> My body gave up on me and I wasn't that talented. But all things being equal, I would go do that versus I love being a faculty member and I'm great at it uh, in some respects, but it's not the same as the personal internal desire to play soccer every day. So, and so intrinsic always wins. Uh, if, if you want to be able to continue doing things, if you want to enjoy it, you, it's got to be for the intrinsic reason. So talking about like coaching education, the part of the research that I looked at, and I hope I'm not like jumping the gun here, but was looking at this, what we call a performance environment or a mastery environment. Okay. So that's where this achievement goal theory comes in. So a mastery environment is when you're looking at a skill, uh, whatever skill it is you want to work on. So let's say shooting free throws, right? So a mastery environment is making it in such that you are trying to increase your your ability. So you're, you're gauging that against yourself, right? So maybe you, you shoot 100 free throws. Yesterday you made 75. Today you make like 77, right? So like there's an improvement in your performance on how you're doing things excuse me, your output. The performance uh, setting is when like you and I shoot free throws. And my goal is to hit a certain level, which is one better than you, right? Well, that kind of caps you out, right? Like if you hit 76 and I hit 77, ooh, I won. Like, but could I hit a 85? Something like that. So the mastery level is what you're looking for. You're trying to get better in what you're doing compared with yourself. Mm. Uh, the performance side of it doesn't matter. If I if I beat you, but I didn't grow as much as I could grow, what's the purpose? I mean, I understand the game environment when we get there. That's that's one thing, but the overall goal should be. And I, I can't believe what this is. It's like Nick Saban's the process, right? Uh, he's a great coach and all, <laughs> but uh, th he's got it down. Like I mean, I think all coaches do have this. It's not you know rocket science here. Like I said, that everybody understands that the ultimate goal is to get better. But the way you go about it is 
you're not necessarily just trying to to outperform the other competition. You're trying to get to that level that is the best for you. And so how do we create environments that are mastery in uh, their focus? And so what I was looking at was trying to understand if those three components, autonomy, competency, and relatedness, were maybe like the sub-levels of uh, that motivational clock, right? So we just, it was like, well, okay, am I just going to count my free throws? Is that all I'm doing to, to learn if I got better? Well, so what if we, we created a spot where you have autonomy and you get to choose the drills that you want to do? So one of the things about youth sports, uh, kids always complain about having to stand around too much in between times, right? So instead of doing one drill, you have stations. And so they move through stations. They're always active and they're always doing stuff. It's a great way to get physical activity up during the practice time, but it's also a way to keep them engaged in what they're doing. So, but a kid gets to decide where they want to do and what level. You're not just telling me you go to A to B to C. You're like, you got to hit all three, all four of these, whatever. You pick out what you want to go do and go do it. Nine times out of 10, they're probably going to choose what they want to do first. And that's where they're going to go. They had choice in it. They feel better about it. So you give them autonomy. So that can help. Um, the competency, again, how are you comparing against what you did yesterday? How are you comparing against what you did last week in your last game? And then relatedness, how does that influence your, your teammates? How does that influence uh, your coaches and the relationship you have? We talk about non-parent adult relationships with youth, right? So we've all had a coach in our lives, a teacher in our lives that was very impactful that wasn't our parent. So that kind of relatedness has an influence on the environment. So if you have a very standoffish coach and you don't have a good rapport with your athletes, you're not going to you're not going to be as connected as you want. Side note to all coaches, your ultimate goal is to be invited to the wedding. That's that's your goal. If you do a good enough job to impact lives, I, I was thinking of this a minute ago, but I couldn't couldn't get it out, uh, is to be invited to the wedding. You get invited to the wedding, you know you did a good job as a coach. I like that rule of thumb, man. Yeah. 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 You're here. You know, they, they always say bad habits die hard, right? You know. What, I'm curious about that because you know th- those are some of the hardest things to break. I still carry some bad habits. My wife could probably come on the show and give you a long list of of, of my bad habits. But w- what does research have to say about breaking bad habits and and, and replacing those with good ones? Lord, man, if I had that answer, yeah, <laughs> I'd be a billionaire. We'd be at, we'd be in a better world, right? right? We we understand the stages of change. We understand why things are good for us and how to go about doing them. The fact is. People don't like to be uncomfortable. And the moments you can be comfortable being uncomfortable, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. But most people don't want to do that. And that's, I, I think personally, all the research that I've read uh, related to all of the stuff that it boils down to the fact of if you can't get through the uncomfortable parts, you're not going to be able to make lasting change. You can do things for a short while. You have to move from uncomfortable to comfortable. If you can be comfortable doing it and you find solace in that, then you can make lasting change. If you can't, I don't think you're going to be successful long-term. Mm-hmm. So I know that sounds like a, a short answer and everything, but again, like we don't know exactly. If we could change all bad habits to good habits, it would already be done. But it, there's a, either a key missing there or something, but uh, I think the the mind is too interested on being comfort, being in a homeostasis environment where you know, it's not being challenged and things like that. And your body is in a state where you don't feel muscle fatigue and you don't feel a tiredness and they don't feel, it's not shocked into action. 
it wants to to stay there. And that's why you hear a lot of things like a body in motion stays in motion, right? So people who get into a rhythm of doing things, they want to continue it because your body is in a homeostasis place. When you sit on the couch, you want to continue staying on the couch. So how do you get from that uncomfortable to that comfortable? I wish I knew. That that would that would make a lot of I'd be rich. So that that whole body in motion stays in motion. I forget what the number is, but it's like twenty one days to make a habit, something, something like that. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Okay. Is that factual too as well? I guess. I think so. I I mean I've read a lot of things related to habit forming. Uh, we used to think it, it was like based off drive, like food drive, sex drive, things like that. You had to meet that need and then you were fine. But then we found out it's not just that. There has to be something beyond it. And, uh, and that's where motivation came into it actually. But you you have to get from a point where you don't like doing something to where you do like doing it. I don't know how to tell you to get there. There's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. And all weight loss, fitness, learning, education, anything that has what might be appeared to be a side effect that's uncomfortable. If we could overcome that, they would, we would flourish. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Some people are better at it than others. Sounds like uh, a lot of self-discipline goes into this. Oh, man. I mean, self-discipline is, again, so huge. There's no doubt about it. What is, you know, what are you, what have you learned that can help people over, you know, overcome some of these uh, barriers, you know, procrastination or, you know, impulsivity? The, uh, the main key that and it's, it's hard for people to stick with it is you have to make small incremental change day after day. A lot of people jump in too fast, too hard in trying to make a change. And it's just, it's hard to sustain that. But truly being dedicated to oneself, to making a small change today, I think the number was, uh, I looked at it, if you can become 1% better over a year, you become like 37% better. I, I don't have the stat. I don't have the, the reference. 1% every day. 1% every day. To, yeah. To, it ends up to be 37% better over a course of one year. And I don't know how you would, you know, how you age that, yeah. Yeah, like wh- what that means, like what's my my language skills are 30% better? Like how, I don't know how to gauge that, but that's that's what the supposedly the, the saying goes. Everybody wants the quick gains, and it's very hard to do that. And there's 10,000-hour practice rule, right? You get 10,000 hours. Well, how long is 10,000 hours if you, I mean, I don't have a calculator, but if you did two hours a day, how many years is that? To get to that level, that's a, that's a lot of hours. Yeah. 10, well, 12 years. Yeah. Something to practice two hours per day. I mean, outside of work and sleep, what, what are, what are some things that you do for two hours every day? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Cause no one has that kind of time. So you would, it's, it would really be more like hour and a half, maybe an hour a day. Mm-hmm. Still, even that at an hour a day is quite a commitment to most people to do something five days a week. If you can stay disciplined and just do 1%, you can get quite uh, much better. Let's put it that way. You can get much better at what you do. I've always liked the idea of, of just show up. E- even when you don't feel like it, if you've only got 20% to give, then give 20% mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, I actually learned this in, in Bible study. I, I, we were following through this large booklet I wasn't able to keep up with it, wasn't doing my job on, you know, the, your daily little devotionals and things like that. And I kind of started ducking out. And the pastor, after a couple of weeks, came and called me in and said, hey, man, got a hunch why you're not showing up. Can you tell me why? And I told him, you know, it's just because I'm not keeping up. He said, man, just show up. Just show up. Even if you don't know the material, at least you're there, you're present, and you're going to get better just by showing up. 
obviously this may not translate into the whole sports aspect. It's funny. <laughs> you're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to put in the practice. Yeah. But I think part of that is even when you don't want to go to practice, even when you don't want to put in those couple extra hours and you don't have the mental capacity to do it or physical capacity, just show up and give what you've got. And that's what I would say is what separates people. Mm. I don't think everybody has that. Yeah. And so the mentality to just show up even when you don't want to, I think is a separating factor in in an overall outcome of what you're looking for. If you can push through that from uncomfortable to comfortable, I think it makes a difference, but I don't think most people have the, that mentality. Yeah. Well, Alex, you know, we, we've enjoyed our time with you today. The last thing that I, I really want to touch on before we, we send you off is, you know, we're, we're a podcast that is geared towards men and trying to make them smarter and better every day, right? And that's the goal of our podcast. And if you could send us off, you know, obviously there's, a, there's an element of social support that comes into lasting change, motivation factors, things like that. Is there anything that you can give us that would just encourage us or could be a driving factor to getting somebody involved, whether it be on a social setting, a supportive environment that would be conducive to someone's betterment of their life and making positive uh, behavior changes? Sure. So you hit on the, the nail on the head. Social, social interactions are the biggest. There's a reason why men play golf. There's a reason why we have trips like that and stuff. Because we're social creatures too. We like to be around people who like what we like. And so if you want to be, if you want to try a new skill and you want to be successful with that skill, start making some friends with people who do that. Like if you want to um, stop doing certain bad habits, find friends that don't have those habits. I mean, it sounds easy, right? But it's not that easy. I mean, it, it really is. And But the social setting that you put yourself in will have a, a big influence on who you are and what you do. And so, and it shouldn't be shame built, like you shouldn't be a part of a group that's going to shame you for doing something. It should be a group that, that promotes you and promotes a positive change and positive outcomes. And if you can find that group of people, you're going to be much better off in terms of physical and uh, mental health, I would think. Yeah. Well, thanks, Alex. We really appreciate that. And no, we discussed uh, a couple of things before we hopped on the show today that there were some other issues or some other topics that you really love talking about. And uh, I'm not going to spill the beans as to what that is on this show, but we're definitely going to have Dr. Solon's back on the show to discuss some other topics that he is an expert on. And thanks for coming today on the, in the podcast today. And we'll have you back in the bakery here soon. Thanks, great. Thanks for coming in. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. Special shout out to Dr. Alex Solons from Tarleton State University for stopping by in the bakery to discuss behavior change and motivation. To learn more about Dr. Alex Solons, check him out on his LinkedIn. As always, to find more of our content, check out our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. And dudes, shout out to Mark from the Fort Worth area for a suggestion on a hot topic on our upcoming episode. Also, big shout out to our avid listeners, Curtis from College Station and Cody from Bryan, Texas. Dude, you can request a shout out or comment on today's show by following the link in the show notes or emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. Dudes, always remember, it's our mission to make men better and smarter each week. And until next week, take care of yourself and we'll see you guys in the bakery for the next batch of fresh hot topics.